Torah isn't education, it's transformation. This is Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. We are back, as we do every Monday between 2 to 3, where we discuss Chinuch. We discuss how to make our lives better, how to make the world a better place, how to improve ourselves, how to grow, how to achieve on many different levels, including on practical, as you all know. And today we are actually going to have a very practical discussion, uh, preparing for the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, a lot coming up in the next few weeks. And we need to prepare ourselves spiritually, and we need to prepare ourselves physically. And not only that we need to prepare ourselves physically, we need to prepare our kids physically, physically, and need to make sure that they are in the right place, in the right space, and that they can handle everything, that they're aware, that they're up to date. And exactly about that, we are going to speak today. My guest today is speech therapist, Naomi Belsky-Brick, and she has specialized and um, focused a lot with children, and she'll explain us about the sensory processing, the auditory, etc. As we and the message that came out earlier regarding the shofar, the noises, everything that is relevant and important for our us to prepare our kids, shul can be a very sensory, stimulating place, and we need to be aware. So, uh, it's going to be a very interesting and fascinating discussion. Anything you want to add to the topic? Anything you want to um, discuss? Especially that you know, as much as it seems normal life and natural. We do need to remember that the past two years, uh, holidays weren't exactly the same. Meaning, even our kids that have been to shul uh, before, uh, the past two years considering COVID, wasn't exactly the same. There was still more space. There was still more differences. And now it seems that this year we are completely back to normal, which, thank God, is a very good thing, in my opinion. By the way, if you think differently, that we should... Um, keep maybe more space in the schools and maybe some of the regulations were good. Uh, I'd love to hear your opinion as well. And any thoughts about this and preparing our kids for the for going to school and communicating and anything we need to know on a sensory auditory level, please send in your comments, your questions, anything you'd like to add to the SMS line 34519, SMS 34519, or Telegram 061-895-1019. Again, Telegram Oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Anything you'd like to add, comment, question, share. Uh, you want to ask me? You want to know me? Uh, who's here in studio with me? Feel free to comment and comment and connect. As well as, I'll just add, if you want to know ahead of time who's going to be on this show, if you'd like to get a. a a message that you can prepare yourself and say, okay, oh, next Monday we're going to have so-and-so. This is a topic I need to know about. Just send in your name and number to 34519 as SMS or Telegram 0618951019, and you will get a link to join a group with the notifications of what's going to happen on this show. So we are ready. Good afternoon, Naomi. Thank you so much for joining Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so as we start, first about you. So you are a speech therapist, and you work with kids generally. Tell us a bit about your work, about your practice. Okay, um, so I work in par- private practice, and sure, there's auditory feedback in my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I work in private practice, and I predominantly see 
little children all the way through school age. Um, I basically love working with little people of all shapes and sizes. And um, I really believe that speech therapy can start from day one. Um, I think often we get, you know, oh, but my child can't speak yet. They don't need to be in speech therapy yet. Um, but When you say day one, you mean literally day one? Literally day one. What can you start in day one? So if there is, I mean, I wouldn't start every child in therapy on day one, but um, <laughs> if there is a high risk, so if a child is at risk for the, for development for developing communication delays or oral tone issues so they're high risk for feeding issues and um, for sucking issues etc so there are strategies that we can implement from day one in terms of the mom things that the mom can do so i was going to ask yeah. maybe before therapy from day one which is obviously more complicated to know unless you know of a risk factor when it comes to moms uh, this is not our main topic but i can't ignore <laughs> it so any moms giving birth what would you recommend to start for that sensory auditory processing as a bonding? Or so I think just to remember that, that babies cry because they're communicating. They don't have language to communicate. They're communicating. They're crying in order to communicate. That is, that, that essentially is the the function and the sole purpose of crying is to communicate a message to to the primary caregivers, to mom. Um, is around this baby. I'm going to use mom just for ease of reference. Um, and to respond to that and to be aware when you're responding to that, that that already starts that level of communication and bonding from the beginning. That's um, amazing. I actually saw n not long ago um, a study that was done by a researcher. I forgot their name and I forgot, so I can't. I don't want to talk detail on the radio because I don't remember who did it. Um, I'll show it to you afterwards regarding identifying four different sounds that babies make that show actually what they're trying to communicate, which is exactly as you're saying, the clear communication that they need. How about about exposure to noises? From day one? Yeah, saying, like what kind? Should we be con concerned? Is it too loud? Is it not too loud? Is it be natural? What would be the recommendation? Be natural. The baby's been listening to sound since it was in, since it was in utero. So um, obviously in utero, the sounds were muffed, muffled a little bit. Um, it had protection and layers that the sound had to go through, but the baby's been listening to sounds. It's been listening to its mom's voice. Um, hopefully it's also been listening to its dad's voice or its siblings' voices. Um, there are studies that show that babies can ac actually recognize um, the voices that they were pre-exposed to as well. So just talk, talk to your baby, even though it doesn't have the language yet to, to talk back to you. You wanna expose your baby to language from the beginning. Um, and take your baby with you and show it to the world from the beginning. I mean, obviously, <laughs> within reason, in those first six weeks, we do want to keep them a little bit more cocooned. Um, and if you are going to be going to a big simcha where there's loud music um, or just a live music band or whatever, you're going to go be going out and taking your baby. So in those circumstances, I would recommend that you um, get baby headphones just to protect baby's ears from those very loud noises. But normal, everyday life, there's no reason to... Okay. Bubble wrap the baby. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. You said I've, I've had previously a discussion with a doctor here uh, that were, had a lot to comment about those earphones, but we'll leave that um, for now. So we do need to take a, our first ad break, and when we come back, we will discuss more about the sensory auditory processing and, and take it more to the relevant area. Uh, anything, any of our listeners, if you're listening here and you want to add, you want to comment, you want to question, you want to know um, us to talk about something that's relevant in, to your life, with your kids and on the auditory level, please send it in. 34519 is the SMS line 061 
1019 is the telegram a short ad break and we will be right back hi fm your station of choice since 2008 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinuch Uthra by G. We are back. Uh, before we continue this discussion with Naomi Belsky-Brisk, who, uh, um, Brick, sorry, Brick, that's the one name I do know, um, <laughs> and that a speech therapist. So uh, just a quick announcement, and we will go right into the discussion. Is your shopping list longer and your time shorter? Discam Delivered has you covered from healthcare essentials to baby food, beauty and toiletries. Whatever you need, Discam Delivered has you covered. Download the easy-to-use Discam app and shop over 7,000 products at in-store prices. That will be delivered to you within 60 minutes. Now you can relax while Discam delivers your essentials to you. It's that simple. Discam Delivered, from Discam to you. Discam Pharmacists, pharmacists who care. Okay, so let's start uh, going a bit deeper before we get into the actual sensory expectations we have and auditory expectations we have for Rosh Hashanah and going future. Maybe um, for those of us who are joining the show, just in a few words, we can explain a bit about the sensory auditory processing when we come to babies, when we come to kids, separate and kind of see, uh, let's get a better understanding of what is actually happening. Okay, um, so... truth is that an OT is probably more skilled to answer the to explain the concepts of sensory processing so just a disclaimer I'm not an OT and if there are any OTs that are listening that would like to add in please do um, but basically the concept of sensory stimulation and, and responding to sensory stimulation is that when we we are exposed to a whole bunch of different sensations on a daily basis all the time um, we are specifically going to zone into that sense of hearing Um, but this is true for across all our senses. We have um, a normal, in inverted commas, um, response to stimulation that we are exposed to. Um, with sound, there are sounds that are generally soft for everybody. There are sounds that are generally loud for everybody. Um, if you have a difference in processing that, so you will either over-respond or you will under-respond. If you under-respond, so... A sound that is loud for other people, um, say, for example, um, I don't know, a hooter hooting. That would give somebody a bit of a jerk. You hear it, right? Um, a person who has got, a person who's under-responsive or hypo-responsive, they might not really respond to that loud sound, even though they've heard it. So just, um, just on the side, I just want to say that we're not talking about hearing acuity. We're not talking about being able to hear the sound. We are talking about people that have got absolutely normal hearing. They can hear the sounds properly. They don't need hearing aids. Um, but this is more about processing the sounds that you can hear. Um, And the sensitivity to responding. Right, that, right. Yeah. So, um, so if you have, so, so the child that has got, um, that's hypo-responsive might actually seek sounds out more. So there might be the sound, the kids that are constantly making a loud noise um, or are constantly banging on things and trying to get sound into their system. Um, they might also be the child that is making sound. So they might hum or click because um, actually, um, they actually, for them, they, they need more sound. in order to, to reach their optimal point. Um, Although, just, uh, I'll just comment, because we also see that sometimes on the other side when kids are um, 
super sensitive and they need to cut out the other sounds, they'll m- bang and make noises to keep everybody else right. um, away from them. Right. So that's so, so that's the one side is the under-responsive. The next sound is what you're talking about is the hyper-responsive or the over-responsiveness to sound. So for these, um, your typical profile will be somebody who responds very, um, they respond as if they've heard a loud sound to something that most people would say wasn't really such a loud sound. Um, so they over-process, they overreact to the stimulation that they're hearing. Um, and I think specifically with um, the shofar and the, shof- and the, the you know, where we're going in this discussion, it's probably, our discussion's probably going to focus more around tips for the child that is hypersensitive more than for the Definitely. child that is under-responsive. So I just want to say that for the child that is hyper-responsive, what happens is that their brain goes into like fight or flight response and then they might melt down they might run away, literally, or they may freeze and not really know what to do the same way one would do if you panicked because that's almost what happens when they hear this very loud sound. And the other thing that's just really important when it comes to discussing the concept of sensory processing, really, is that our thresholds vary from day to day. Um, you can have a child that is under-responsive sometimes and hyper-responsive at other times. Um, the same way, just general functioning, and I'm using the word normal just for ease of reference, but really... Um, just, you know, as typical beings, we all have days where sometimes sometimes I find my kids just too loud for me to deal with because I've got internal stuff going on. Um, and sometimes I can handle all their noise very happily because I am more calmer. Um, which, so is, which is a huge key because, m- meaning based on how we are um, able to deal with the situation and prepared and know the situation is the more ability we have to accommodate. Right. So that's definitely something we're going to have to discuss in preparing. So, for instance, when we look at shofar, there are parts that the whole show is quiet and everybody's waiting and, and there's like a countdown. That will, would probably not be as difficult for a child. However, sometimes there's parts of the davening that the child's already had enough and he's playing with his friends and then suddenly he hears a shofar out of the blue. Right. What I also wanted to touch on, though, is um, sleep and diet because a good night's sleep when you are more tired or you're more hungry, your, <laughs> your your thresholds, your threshold levels are. Sorry, I actually lost my train of thought there. When if you have eat, if you are well slept and you are well fed, your threshold levels are higher. If you are, if you are tired or you are very hungry, your threshold levels will be lower. So, um, for our child that we know already might be predisposed to not being a bit uncomfortable around sounds and noises, it can help to to have a good night's sleep before, which might not be very practical. Um, but what is practical is to keep them well fed. Um, so to make sure that they have had a good breakfast, that they've got snacks and shul, um, because a, chi- a, a hungry child or a hungry adult or a hungry husband um, is a lot more difficult to deal with than a, a well-fed one. <laughs> wife, I guess, would be the fair analogy. Um, and in terms of sleep, just to know that, also just to be aware, something that's not practical and we can't be on top of everything all the time, just to be aware, oh, they might be a little bit more tired, they might be... L- their threshold might not. Their threshold levels might not be at a good point to expose them at this point in time. Um, right. So just to and be also to self-regulate and modulate right. afterwards when you're tired or hungry or upset or frustrated or confused, it will be much harder to regulate. Right. So one of the things that we, maybe we can do, and if you could talk on the practical level, how do we make the child not confused? Like, what can we th- help our children know ahead of time to expect, to predict, to understand? And at least that's, let's look at that element first to 
to help them self-regulate and to have a, a um, more of a threshold when they know, okay, this is what's going to happen, this is for how long, etc. So how would you go with that? So I think we are really lucky in South Africa in that most of our kids attend Jewish day schools. Most, most of our little kids are in Jewish nursery schools um, and we're really lucky because they've done 99% of the job for us. <laughs> they've already exposed our kids to the shofar, the sound of the shofar, what it's all about, what's going on in shul. Um, but for our kids that need a little bit more than that, or for our kids that are not in Jewish day schools, there are other things that we can do. Um, so just exposure, get them toys of shafaras, let them make those noises, let them play with them. If you do have... Do you think what the school is doing is enough to expose the children? With um, I think so. I think for most ages. I think for most kids. Okay. Um, so before we talk about more exposure and how to deal with it, we do need to take another ad break. And when we come back, we'll be in this discussion with speech therapist... Naomi Bersky Brick, and we will be discussing more about how to um, introduce the sounds, the noises, and and we don't have to speak only in Rosh Hashanah. There's going to be more and more challenges. Anything you want to comment, please three four five one nine is the SMS line or Telegram oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Short ad break, and we will be right back. High FM one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. 101.9, we are back in a fascinating discussion. I'm here with speech therapist Naomi Brick, who is discussing the different potential things we should be preparing our kids for when it comes to auditory, sensory, um, regarding um, the holidays coming up. And right before the break, we were talking about the shofar and the signed and exposure. So I stopped you to go to ad break. What were you recommending for introducing our children to the sound of the shofar because the shofar sound actually doesn't really blend in with other sounds. So for some kids it would be easier for some kids the other way around, but it's not really a blending voice. Right. It's also very startling. Um, right. So what I would suggest is pre-exposure. Um, so if you are able to get your hands onto a real life shofar, that's prize A, let them touch it, feel it, play around with it. If you're not, toys are also great, pictures are great. You can also... Go onto YouTube, you can video, you can listen to videos of what the sound sounds like. You can role play, this is what it's going to be like in shul. For some children, that's just not enough and they need a little bit more than that. Um, In those cases, I would recommend doing either what we call a visual schedule or a social story. Um, So a visual schedule is actually putting together an itinerary of what's going to happen in the day. Um, If your child can read, you'll do it with words. If they can't read, you'll do it with pictures. Um, where you're going to actually have a little schedule of what's going to happen on this day. So whether it's going to be we're going to wake up and have breakfast, so I would do breakfast, a picture, a symbol, a word, um, get dressed, picture, sound, word, whatever, um, picture of the shul, maybe so they're going to have do outside everything? time. You would do everything or only the things that are different? Um, no, I would, again, it's depending on the child. I'm, go- I'm talking about in a more... Um, for a child that needs more support, because I think, you know, one can then just, you can um, take out as much as you need. But Definitely. in terms of a high level of support, um, I would put in your whole day. Because even though there is just those moments that are unsettling or that we, we are preparing for, um, most children that struggle with sensory, that struggle with life on a sensory level, also struggle with predicting what's going to happen next. And or have a certain level of anxiety around what's going to happen or what is happening when things are different. So being able to have your day contained 
um, up until a certain point, I would put that all in. This is what's going to happen today. Um, and, and put in step by step, um, more or less, depending on how much your child needs, um, up until whatever, up until we come home and then life goes is normal as you know it and you know what the normal schedule is. Although the truth is, is that your Tiff has a bit of a different schedule to normal days anyway. So your right. child might need you to have the whole day planned for them. Um, for some kids to just go through this verbally is enough. Um, for some kids just having gone through it at school where the Mora explains to them that you know, you're going to go to school, you're going to hear the shofar, you're going to come home, you're going to have lunch, you're going to do it all over again. For some kids, that's enough. Um, but for some kids, they do need more support. Um, okay, so, so regarding the schedule, let me ask, let's talk about adding other stuff to the schedule regarding, for instance, one of the things I spoke to you is regarding um, certain foods, like different foods. And where would that meet the child, um, you know, on, on a sensory level or different, like, I don't know when the last time you served pomegranates for dinner for your kids, but that's not a normal thing we do. Can I come back to that question in one second? Okay, go for it. I just wanted to finish the train of thought with a social story. Because <laughs> okay. the other thing that you can do is, um, if your child really needs more support, is to create a little story for them with them in it. Um, you could just create a story about how... Little Moishi goes to Shul Anyantif and little Moishi stands next to his mom or next to his dad and he listens and, you know, the, and you go through um, essentially the same as the schedule of the day, but you're making it more a story about the child. And you can take it one step further and have little photographs of the child um, and have like a real, if you're a really good Pinterest mom, you could have a little book created. I personally am not one of those. I wouldn't have managed to do that in time. But, but at least we triggered the, all the Jewish <laughs> guilt for all the moms on the radio. Yeah. But, but I just want to say that, you know, if you do need that level of support, that is also out there. Okay. So let's go back to, f- to special foods and, and things like that. How would you identify sensitivity? How would you introduce it on a, on a texture level? And again, I know you're not an OT, you're a speech and hearing therapist. Uh, however, I did choose to bring you on the show regarding this. And different textures, different foods, they can make somebody dirty. What, how would you go on that? So lucky as speech therapists, we also deal with feeding. I know. And, and that's why you're here. Yeah. Um, so I think the most important thing is to make it fun and no pressure. I think the more pressure you're going to place on a child, the less likely they are to um, to comply and also the more likely they are to feel anxious about what's going on. Um, and Rabbi, you can correct me on this, but I think the simanim, the... The different types of foods that we introduce into our menu on Rosh Hashanah and on Sukkot are more customs. They're not. There's no law that you have to eat a date or you have to eat a pomegranate. Um, uh, agreed, definitely not. Um, and and that's a, a very important point for anybody who's panicking if their child won't eat an apple and honey. Would they have a good year or not? Yes, they would. And and it is customs that we need to do and 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 address. The, the real thing where I was going with this is sometimes you'll have kids that will refuse to come to the table if you have, uh, uh, I don't know, a headfish <laughs> on the table. or so, And the, all the other siblings want it, and then what? So in my house, we use um, the marshmallow fish at Moishi's or, or wherever, <laughs> or Homely's or wherever else. Um, and then we'll have a different fish dish. That's how we okay. um, sideline that. Um but I think, it's, I mean, if you if you do want to particularly have, um, for example, the head, the fish, the head of the fish on the table, um, if you have somebody at your house that is or at your table that is particularly sensitive, perhaps you could cover it with tinfoil um, when they're around and expose it. When you know we're going to expose it now, let them leave. And preparing a sensitive kid before. 
and, and again, preparing them as well. The other thing, just to keep to that fun aspect, is you can also make it a game. So there's some fun games about food that are saw in preparation for this that I thought were quite fun that you could add to your soda or to your sukkah table. Um, you can do taste testing. So you can do thumbs up or thumbs down. Everybody has a taste of this different food and they either give it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Um, okay. You can have a taste test chart where you've got pictures of the different foods and maybe because it's Travis and Yantif, you can have before little markers to, ha you know, to rate the different foods um, and you can rate each food. In the, in the house um, and the other thing is you can do is blindfold and taste so you can actually blindfold each other and taste what am I eating so again it's that fun for a sensory child um, even if they know if they know that this is what they're going in for um, and maybe for that child you'll give them something that you know they like you know they will be okay yeah you know I'm you want to keep the success rate high you want to keep the fun high and you want to keep the pressure low um, the other thing is I think that's a huge point also just the interacting around it will will help the child regulate and, and ease and, you know, calm down. Yes. So, so that's definitely... And there's a lot of, um, th there's a lot of, not research is the right word, but there's a lot of approach out there about exposure without, without pressure. So just having the foods on the table or even on the child's plate, some children might not want to put it on their plate, but just having the food on the table and having them exposed to it um, without any pressure to taste it, actually increases the likelihood of them going and tasting it. Okay. Um, the other thing to just add to it is the vocabulary. Um, it's a lovely, la taste and foods are a lovely language opportunity. So you can add in, you know, sweet, sour, not most of the foods are sweet, but we can also add in delicious, tart, bland. Um, uh, <laughs> My yeah. kids have picked up from one of their friends, this doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> and, and to respect those um, opinions, when you often when a child has the language, um, they're less frightened about being exposed to things that are a little bit different because they're armed with that language to say, mm, stop or no, I'm good with this. So the, I think that's a point that we don't usually touch on and that's the language aspect of things, which is a huge thing. Um, are there language... Um, expressions that you would recommend for parents to kind of address with their children before the holidays about how to, you know, show the discomfort, how to be more aware, things that not naturally are, are that they don't have naturally? Or is that something that you feel, in, unless there's uh, uh, an opportunity for enjoying the language, you wouldn't be as concerned on? Um, so I think it's always a good idea for a child to be armed with an out. So if you... I think the discussion, although we're not saying it, the, the, the discussion is really um, more about arming your child that already is um, a little bit more se sensitive on a sensory level. Or actually a child that would normally cope with sensory input but is tired and overstimulated as we all are over the Chagim. Right. Um, so, you know, before you answer, because one of the questions that came in was a bit off topic, but I think now is the right time. Um, again, compliments for the show. Thank you. Um, and then the question is, how will I know if my child, if my children are sensitive, if their hearing test is fine? So I think, in fact, this morning yeah. I had a mom talk to me about a child <laughs> that um, his hearing is fine. They've tested the hearing, the hearing is fine. But when she calls everybody to the dinner table, this child does not, does not come. Or when she asks a question in the house, this child doesn't answer. Um, and we'll often see it like, in in a very textbook manner, in a more um, 
severe case um, with a child that's got autism, you can call their name and they will be busy playing and they won't respond. But, but in even other concentration times, kids, even kids with ADD right, or ADHD. Right. Or if they I weren't mean, concentrating on something else and they just zoned into their zone, they're just not processing what it is that you're saying. So um, I think it depends on, this, on the severity of the, of the situation. And there are some times when it is glaringly obvious that your child can hear because they will respond to certain things, but they don't respond to other things. Um, and then you would test it. But the truth is, um, but it, it can also be subtle. It will often come out in, in the classroom. It's often where we see auditory processing um, difficulties. Um, well, auditory, the truth is auditory processing and, sen- and auditory hypersensitivity are different. Um, right. So we're kind of crossing into a, a bit of a murky area. Um, I think how would you know if a child is hypersensitive is if they cover their ears mostly. If they, when there's sounds around, they cover their ears or they get into a level of they distress. They cringe, they hide, yeah. they'll, right. Yeah, or they try to hide themselves. Sometimes they'll put themselves under a blanket or they'll cover their ears or they'll um, start doing something that calms them when it doesn't actually seem to everybody else like that noise was so loud. Um, so I think if you're picking up those kinds of things, um, that's when you should investigate further. Right. Um, I, I would say that it goes in both directions, also in the extra sensitivity and also when there's um, hypersensitivity, meaning when when a child is doing something that's out of the ordinary, when something doesn't look right, then just be aware. Meaning, uh, many times people tell me, you know, I called my child for dinner and they won't come. And I said, okay, how long did you wait? And then they'll go back and check and say, well, actually two seconds and I lost my patience. So there is a normal time. I mean, when when think for a second when your wife calls you from the computer how long does it take you when you when when you're trying to end something and come so if your child's reading a book or playing games they're not going to drop the game maybe we want them to maybe they should but they won't so it, we need to identify in like is it in the proper appropriate reaction mm-hmm. reality if some kids it is normal for them to be called twice or three times especially if we wait only five seconds and call again so just identify and uh, what's practical absolutely um i think also just to be able to read your child's sounds so to know so when they've reached their threshold just so I'm gonna, the, an, another sms came in regarding the child my child is opposite he looks like he gets a fright when he's called okay. so that would probably show sensitivity yeah that that would that would be more of your hypersensitivity that that's like oh where did that sound come from all of a sudden, um, so there okay. I would. But this show is just for information. You will have to check with a specialist. Nobody's telling you on the show if your child right, is so that's sensitive what I was or not. I was going to say sensitive. is that if your child is jumping every time their name is called, I would investigate it a little bit further, um, either with an audiologist or a speech therapist. Um, just to just to see what's going on there and what other behaviours. It's usually not a behaviour in isolation. Um, that's. Okay you know, that leads us to a diagnosis. Um, but back to Shul and preparing ourselves on Yantith, um for for these different types of situations. I think also just know when your child has reached their threshold. And I think it's okay to stay away. Um, you know, sometimes we want our children to be in Shul and we want them to listen and we want them to... But if you can see that your child has reached their limit for the day, they've reached their limit for the day. Um, and maybe you need to have a plan in place for what to do if that happens. Um yeah, yeah, and on that I have to say, uh, and we're getting to times that maybe it's not politically co- correct to say, but I think we're still allowed to say that um, mothers many times will know to identify if their child is reaching his threshold um, and is going into sensory overload or 
um, unsettled more than fathers. And I think it's something that is actually very important. If your child is going to go with to sit with his dad uh, during the davening or if he's going to go to shul, perhaps parents should have a little chat before and um, just say, you know, this is how you're going to identify when our child um, gets restless. This is how you. This is what you can predict. And as, as ridiculous as it, as it sounds, sometimes actually communicating as parents and the, allowing the parent who is more in tune with the child share with the parent that's less in tuned, who wants to know but doesn't necessarily pick it up, to just give some guidelines about your child and yeah. how to address. Yeah. The other thing that I would also do is um, provide your child with something to soothe them while they're in shul. So for some kids, um, and specifically your younger kids, um, maybe like a, a doo-doo or a dummy or whatever, or your older kids, fidget toys um, or a book or something that they can distract them, distract themselves with, something that gives them comfort that when they... Um, are maybe feeling a little bit out, um, that they've got something to calm them and to bring themselves back to center. Um, so I'd also say that with babies. So, so before we go to babies, I just want to ask any of our listeners, because this actually could be very practical. If you're listening and you send something to show with your kids to help them self-regulate or to, to keep them busy or to distract, give us the ideas. Because many times I meet parents and they're saying, I'm not sure what I could send, what I can send, what I can do. So as a mom or as a dad or a therapist or anybody who's listening and has an idea how to help self-regulate the child or give them what to do, especially if davening is that long and you can't just leave in the middle, please send in your ideas. 34519 is SMS line or Telegram 061-895-1019. I think it's extremely important for us to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rabbi, you also mentioned at the beginning that we are entering shul in a post-COVID era, and I think that's so important because um, so many of our kids, especially our younger kids, um, are still being referred to as COVID babies, even though they're five or six years old, because um, they spend two years of those, that crucial time um, being very bubbled and very at home and very in, in a very different environment to you know, to, to other times. So we might see this sensory hypersensitivity in a case that's not necessarily pathological, um, but just these, just a child who hasn't been exposed or hasn't, or is still, is still adjusting. And I think we really need to be sensitive to that with these kids, because though we are nine months into this year, um, it's really not a lot of time for a child that spent most of their life at home, um, not going to crowds, um, and not not being exposed to loud noises and um and so it might not be pathological but your child might just actually need all this extra support because it's their first time exactly and especially if it's a family that the kids normally go just on the holidays of um, the high holidays or mm-hmm. pesach or it, it really never had that opportunity so it's yeah even though covid's been gone for a long time we never had mm-hmm. a time of these holidays without covid yeah, and I think also just for families to not over um, overload their social schedules on the Antavim. It's a month of partying, and it really is make a yantif, pack a yantif, make a yantif, pack a yantif. Um, but we need to also just be sensitive to ourselves when we're exhausted and we're feeling like I'm socialized out. Um, our kids are feeling that more so, and sometimes we just need to have, it's okay to decline an invitation or not invite people for a meal just to allow your family to regroup and regather. And connect. Uh, that's a huge point because what I did want to speak to, you, and we're going to have to do that after the break, is on a sensory level for adults as well. Um, when it comes to Yom Kippur, 
because the sensitivity of everybody, and especially somebody who's fasting, we're more sensitive, we're more irritable. And if we do have a slightly sensory overload or something, that, uh, that noise that normally we can handle, not when we're fasting, not when we're tired. So what can adults do also to help themselves self-regulate? We will take a short ad break, and when we are back, we will be discussing exactly that. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. 101.9, we are back. And right before the break, I asked a speech and hearing therapist, Naomi Brick, a question regarding the adults listening. Coming Yom Kippur, and a lot of us are going to fast, and a lot of us, or maybe I'm not allowed to say us so much, are going to be staying home with kids and can get overwhelmed, overstimulated, uh, trying to deal with everything at the same time. Not really sure, going to shul, coming, what... How do we handle all of that? And what are the techniques that parents could use for themselves and say self-care? And we are talking a lot about the kids, but as we always say, when you're in a plane and the oxygen drops, first put a mask on yourself, then on the kids. I think it's definitely relevant when it comes to managing your home. What would you recommend? I think my recommendations would be the same as children. So try and self-regulate yourself, have things in place for yourself, um, that 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 bring you that, that regulate you, um, and those things could even be things that you tell yourself. Be kind to yourself. Um, I think sometimes one of the things that also puts us into a more um, irritable state or a more um, dysregulated state is our own anxiety over: Am I using this day enough? Am I? You know, this is I'm supposed to be doing this, and my children are making me do that. Um, and just to be kind and to be fair to yourself. And, and to tell you know to, to talk nicely to yourself about what is realistic and what is actually the priority here um, also if there are books that you you know there, if there are books that inspire you if there's anything that you want to take into show for yourself or when you get a little bit distracted because um, we do all get distracted as well something that's going to recenter or refocus you um, take that in I know some people bring in smelly things that they can smell that that re- that regulates them. Um, you can also be strategic, and this is something that I didn't mention earlier when it comes to children, and this is relevant for both children both for children and for yourself, is you can be strategic about where you sit. If you're the type of person that needs to walk around more and you need to be able to just go outside and get a breath, breath of fresh air, choose your seats closer to the door so that it's not If you can, that, that, yeah, that's definitely... That you are able to Planning. go, yeah. That you are able to have a little easy exit, a little emergency escape for when you're just feeling you need you need that out. Um, and I think as adults, it's okay to also feel that out. Um, we are allowed to walk around um, if we need to. Um, obviously, I'm not talking about a halachic level here. And please consult with your local Orthodox rabbi um, in terms <laughs> exactly. of when you're allowed to leave shul and not, um, etc. But, um, but you know, instead of leaving, I actually, uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy this came in, an S, um, a message coming in from an EFT practitioner, Hillary, thank you. Um, and she's saying that without going out, um, squeezing on their fingers, obviously for the kids, but I'm sure for adults as well, on either side of their nail helps. As an EFT tapping practitioner, it can help if what what you're discussing and also help with anxiety meaning um you can get some tapping techniques okay she's not here on the show mm-hmm. so i don't know what the techniques mm-hmm. are but if you do know an eft uh, tapping practitioner maybe consult with them or 
uh, Hillary who that sent the message in or any of them to use these tapping techniques or things to calm yourself down while you're in shul if you can't get out. So I don't know the tapping techniques, but I have recently done a little DBT um, course and there also it's about you can also use your own body so you can tense up your fingers or your feet and just hold them tense for five seconds right. and release and that sounds like a similar type no, of so effect the EF, on the body the, the dbt is more about the releasing and, yes. the, and the float and the eft is more about certain energy points in the body that you could tap on and and release right. while, so i'm saying i don't know saying. about that but so, this is but another, both another of them strategy are great. yeah definitely um another strategy that you can use um just to send to yourself is the five four three two one um, which is, oh, I can't actually remember the order now, but basically use your five senses. So <laughs> the grounding. The grounding, The grounding. Right. So fi- find five things, things that you, you can, can see, see four, four things, things that you can hear, three things that you can touch, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. Correct. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, and, and that can ground you a lot. Um, to be honest with you, I don't find that that helps me, but I find it helps my kids. It is a very good grounding technique, but when you're talking about the breathing, what you also can do and you can teach your kids is if we take a deep breath in, and I thought we, that's where you're going with the numbers, and we take in a shorter breath and release out a longer breath. So right. we would do uh, one, two, three in, four hold in, and then five out, but make sure you're letting out longer than you're taking in. It will also calm you and self-regulate you. Right, and also mantras when you're doing that as well. So if you've got your Yom Kippur mantra that you've given yourself, um, that can also center you if you need to. Um, there was something else I wanted yeah, I to think, say about I think that. More than all the techniques, uh, the fact that we're actually talking about it, and I think the message is extremely important, that don't panic if you are having a hard time. You, you do need to self-regulate. You need to calm down, and, and it's okay whatever mm-hmm. comes your way to actually manage it. Right. And I think also, when I... To be honest with you, when I think of my Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah prep, the first thing I had to do is check to see what day of the week Yom Kippur falls on um, because I need to know, am I going to have help at home or not? (laughs) And I think we are so blessed in South Africa where we do have that and most of us are privy to that. Um, Even if you don't have your own full-time help, um, maybe you can organize to have somebody come in and help you um, when you are fasting. That for me is a big one. there's very little housework that can be done on Yom Kippur. Um, my nanny knows, and she'll be reminded again this year, that um, it's her day to bond and play with the kids. Um, right. Because we are running out of time, I just want to move a bit to Sukkot. Because Sukkot, a lot of us are going to eat, be eating, we're going to be sitting in, in outside of the house in the sukkah. Um, some people live in more open places. Some people can hear what's happening in other sukkahs. There's discussion, there's noise, there's distractions. How do we refocus? And in a place we're not used to eating, so everything smells a bit different. There's maybe smell from the schach, there's noises from other people. It's more squashed. How would you recommend to manage a meal in the sukkah and in that area? I'm going to add one more complication to that, is that often our sukkah Sukkahs are very visually stimulating as well, and for some kids that also might be. I was being um, careful because you're not an OT. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, again, I think it's about having fun. I think that's really the biggest key factor here is having fun um, and making, getting your kids involved, get them involved in building the sukkah, get them involved in putting it up and get putting up their decorations and being a part of it. Um, last year we went away over Sukkot and we had a um, traveling sukkah and it just wasn't the same for us. We all felt, we all missed our sukkah. Um, wow. 
So this year we really made sure that we are going to be home over Sukkot. Um, so your kids can really, really be a part of it. They can love it and they can be a part of it. Connect um, and be comfortable. Yeah. And the more you involve your kids in in what you're doing, in all of this holiday prep, whether it's making challahs together or putting up the sukkah or um, your apples up in honey, whatever it is that you're doing, the more you can get your kids involved, um, the more they will be involved and the more they'll want to participate and the more they'll want to get out of their comfort zones and do different things with you. A hundred percent. And I think what you said before about planning is also very accurate for Sukkot because if you have a child who hates being touched and moved and you put him in the seat that everybody's going to move him every time they get in and out because Sukkot are generally smaller and there's, we need to have more sensitivity about it. Some kids are just going to sit at the table and be there for the whole meal. So let them have you know, a more cornered place where they're not going to be moved around and shoved around. Some people are going to get up every time and kind of planning in that mm-hmm. space also to be aware of what's going to happen throughout the meal, even if they don't sit in the same order that you'll sit in the house, but you'll have just that safe space. I think we do need to go a bit more into it. However, we have to go to our last ad break for the day. Um, so we're going to take a last short ad break. In the meantime, anybody, if you want to ask, comment, question, anything you would want to know, please share. 34519. You could ask, share, comment. The SMS line is 34519 or Telegram 061-895-1019. A short ad break and we will be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 Chai FM Chai We are back for the last few minutes of today's show. Uh, in this today's show, we had a, an amazing discussion with speech and hearing therapist Naomi Brick, and we've been speaking a lot about the different holidays, different things. Uh, we do have to end. I just will get your opinion on one thing before we start wrapping up the show. What are your thoughts about um, he, um, uh, what's called earplugs? noise counseling things, what are the options we have in the market? What can we do? What should we use? What should we look at? Um, so you can get noise canceling headphones and you can get earplugs or even just putting press stick in the air or cotton wool, um, not far in, just on the outside. Um, press stick, is that, is that not too much? Yeah, that's just what I'm saying, not like just that you, that I know some people do use it, but I think cotton wool is a better option. Um, but or even just normal headphones for some, if if the noise is just too loud and it's just too much, it can just be an escape. Um, I'm not sure what the halakhic ramifications would be in terms of hearing the shofar through noise cancelling headphones. Um, but um, okay. people could ask me in private. <laughs> but, it's, but it, you, if you hear the shofar, you're okay. And remember, a lot of times speaking also about kids and about so don't yeah. don't but, panic. But I think in terms of just that, um, for people that have just had too much. <laughs> I once had a family come to me for lunch and the little boy went and put himself in his pram and pulled down the cover. He just needed time out. And it was Couldn't so awesome. My husband and I were so jealous. We were like, oh, my kids were like, what is he doing? He's just having time out. He's had enough of people. And we just thought, isn't that the coolest thing? Imagine we could all go to our pram and pull the cover over and just have a little bit of time out when we've had enough. So I think listening to your body and listening to your children's bodies and what they're telling you verbally and non-verbally is really key for staying content and in a regulated space. And, and yeah, and I think on that note, I have to say, I, uh, quite a few years ago, I was working with a girl who had uh, um, overstimulation. It was getting hard for her sometime, and she really wanted to go to shul. And when I was chatting to the rabbi of her community, I 
mentioned that we're trying to find this out, and he, his reaction was so amazing. He said, we actually have a room behind my office that she could just go there and self-regulate and come back. And I think it's mm-hmm. a very crucial thing. If you're taking your children to school, maybe show them around first. Maybe think what are the areas that they can calm down, that they can take a time out in a safe way that you'll know where to find them and they'll be safe and looked after. But at the same time, they'll have that sensory space regulation, the noise when it just gets mm-hmm. too much. Even the message that it's okay if, if it gets too much. Just go, modulate, d- take some breathing or any mm-hmm. of the techniques we spoke and get back on track. I think also as I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking, I think for mothers, sometimes we are that safe space for our kids in a chaotic place as well. And sometimes our kids will come to us in the middle of school or whatever just to come and get a hug or to come and tell us something. But really what they really want to do is they want to come and get a hug and they just need that reassurance. Um, so sometimes we are that safe space for our children as well. And that's a big blessing, um, and it yeah. is amazing. So just to be aware of that as well um, when we are in that and when we don't feel like our children are around all the time, but sometimes we just need to have that reminder that I am their safe space and I'm holding them now. Exactly, and I think to end off is exactly the message you were saying. Prepare, be aware, be excited, be engaged, enjoy what we have, be proud of what we have, communicate about it, and we will find that self-regulation and and get that balance of managing everything and, and be real and have fun i think there's no real reason to feel exactly pressure. nothing better than that <laughs> I, I think that's a great way um yeah we do have to end up the show it's the last show for this year the next show is going to be after the new jewish year so according to our calendar this is the last show uh next show will be after rosh hashanah so want to wish all the listeners we should all have a beautiful blessed, great year. Looking forward to hear you next um, Monday. That's not a holiday that we can be back on the show. In the meantime, look after yourselves, stay safe, stay in a good spirit and a good holiday spirit and just get the best out of it. Enjoy. 101.9 Chai FM Chai Chinuch Rabbi G. See you at the next show.